Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, if he ever builds a Bilbo deck, he's going to fill it with a ton of new adventure cards. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, this weekend, absolutely crazy. It was, I, I was so surprised. I had Rick Astley as my waiter. It was so, so amazing, but... Turns out he was a really bad waiter. Uh, no matter how bad I asked and said, I really want this, he just wouldn't desert me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know what? I thought I knew where you were going with that one. And I was like, I'm pretty sure we've heard all of the Rick Astley jokes that could ever possibly exist. But that one threw me. So you know what? Well done, actually. I'm, I'm, all, about, I'm all about that. <laughs> I, I, I can't get over Rick Astley jokes. I, I, you might say I just can't give them up. So Okay, that one I have heard before. That, that one you like have that. heard, but... <laughs> I, I still like it, so you're going to have to deal with it. Yes, uh, absolutely. All right. Up next, he knows it's not possible, but he's still trying to find a way to put all of those new roll tokens onto a single creature. It's Dana Roach. I, I'm pretty pumped with the newest uh, build I have. I think it's pretty good. And when I showed it to a mime friend of mine, he, he was speechless. <laughs> I, I think he was really impressed by like how I was thinking outside the box. You're, oh my, listeners, you can't see, but Dana's doing the mime gesticulations right now, and it's like, that's, it's that's cute. incredible. It is, it you is guys, cute. You guys are too much for me sometimes. <laughs> All right, uh, Matt, what are we talking about on this episode this week? So this week, we're going to kind of give ourselves a little history lesson and go through the different eras and kind of define what they really could have been as far as the eras of commander design. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this one. It is a little bit of a history lesson, but I think it's very interesting to go over the the years that Commander has not been a thing and then been a thing and identify different moments, products, specific times, years and stuff like that. We're like, oh, here was a shift in the way that the company and the player base were engaging with what Commander would eventually become. This I'm, I'm really excited for this, but we got to do some shout outs before we hop to it. First, I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Manicurves, for helping editing the show. And you can find them online at Manicurves. 
We also wanted to let you know we'll be at the Magic Summit this year in Salt Lake City, October 26th to 29th. We had an absolute blast last year, and we hope to see you fine folks again this year. Come say hi and get in some games with us at the Magic Summit. And you may see us there in our Coalesce Apparel Magic-themed merch, which you can also get. And no matter what you get from Coalesce, use code EDHREC at checkout for 10% off your order. They have all types of way cool designs from the Omnath Rock and royal shirt to, of course, the EDH Rec collection, which you may see us sporting at the Magic Summit event. Once again, that's Coalesce and code EDH Rec for 10% off your order. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing to this video on YouTube. You can subscribe on your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash EDH Recast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join our Discord community, you want to see the episodes a day early, where we typically steal the segue, as you can do that a day <laughs> early, or there's all that and more over patreon.com slash EDH Recast, including the weekly patron shout out, which this week we are going to give a very special shout out to Josh Brubaker Salcedo. So uh, Brubaker Salcedo is such an impressive last name, mm. then it's preceded by Josh. <laughs> that that is a very yeah a very uh outweighed on one side versus the other for in terms of names but like josh uh, has been a patron of ours for like three years so like josh thank you so much for the the support the ongoing support for that long that is so tremendous of you seriously thank you i want to i want to say thank you brubaker salcedo because that sounds so much more impressive that that does like yeah that sounds honestly uh, 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 josh i hope this doesn't feel, uh, that sounds like the, like a gazoon tight it sounds like if someone sneezes <laughs> i should say oh brubaker salcedo <laughs> <laughs> if someone sneezes, I should be like Mariska Hargitay. You know, it sounds like it's that kind of a name. <laughs> anyway, I think I'm stealing that joke from someone anyway. But uh, let's let's get to it. Thank you again, Josh, so much for your ongoing support. It means the world. And now, guys, we're going to get into our topic. We are talking, uh, we are defining the eras of commander design. And Dana, as our oldest friend... Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to say it yes, that you way. Did. It yes, just, you did. Yes, you did. It's just an automatic, it just automatically happens. Um, so Dana, as the dinosaur amongst us, that one I did mean to say, what was the very first uh, place that we're going to start with for Commander Eras? Well, the, the first thing I think I guess we'll note is th there was an era where there really wasn't a thing called Commander or, yeah. or even the concept because there weren't legendary creatures. Um, you know, Alpha didn't have legends, and the first two expansions, Arabian Nights and Antiquities, didn't have legendary creatures. So the the entire concept of of legendary creatures, which is what Commander needs to exist, didn't even begin until Legends, which was about two years into Magic's existence. Um, so so we're gonna kind of count. You know, I guess it doesn't really make much sense to talk about that 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 kind of Alpha phase before anything existed. Um, so I guess we decided to call it the pre-DH period, yeah. um, and that's it, we kind of have defined that as before 2011. So from Legends up until basically before that first batch of precons came out is kind of that first phase where from from when Commander went from basically Highlander was a format that kind of casual people played early on until it became you know the the, the thing known as as Commander later on or as EDH later on, um, that's kind of this first giant phase that we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when, originally when the format was in its early infant steps, it was just kind of the Elder Dragons. You had the Nicol Bolas, you had all of those original Elder Dragons that kind of had to helm the deck, and that's what everything was based around. But 
It was kind of a, a weird format. Cards weren't that great compared to what we're seeing today. And so uh, <laughs> cards like Ristic Study weren't really all that balanced in what kind of Commander was in its original form. Yeah, definitely a lot of designs going looking through the past. And it's like, hmm, I don't think that would fly today now that multiplayer matters design is like such a huge focus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like some of these cards are a little bit cracked. Um, uh, but th that also like, you know, even beyond just the original Elder Dragons, this was also like when they did start making more and more legends, they weren't specifically designed for commander players. But I mean, this was back when Alara, for example, was like a treasure trove of legends because we got mm -hmm. stuff like Room the Hegemon, which was just accidentally a very, very good commander. This was back when Xur the Enchanter was like a power house tutory commander or back when like the niv mizzet firemind combo with curiosity was still a novelty to everyone <laughs> uh so like this was uh you know th these cards were just accidentally really really good commanders but it was slim pickings by far yeah and, and i guess some things to note about this this phase the commanders that were good were accidentally good yeah. it's like the, no one was building these cards to be good in a multiplayer 40 life format you would just occasionally stumble across the the Xur the Enchanter, like the God Mentioner, or the Sharoom, or the Rafik of the Many, cards that just happen to work really well in this format, but nobody intended them to do that. And I, I think the other thing worth noting about this era, too, is win conditions were really thin. Yes. There's a reason, one of the reasons Xur was so good, and one of the reasons Sharoom was so good, is they were combo engines baked into the commander. And combo was kind of probably the best i mean it's it, you could say it's the best way to win today but at least there's alternatives today at the time there just weren't a lot of alternatives other than hope you have a 4-4 out when someone's at four life yeah like that i mean th there were a couple of overrun effects um but for the most part your win conditions were just get lucky with combat damage or to combo out and and, and we've seen a lot of diversity since those days in a whole bunch of different ways but things were much more narrow back in that, that, that 2011 and earlier era. For sure. Well, and if you look at like the pre-modern format, which is kind of one of those community-run formats as well, it's a lot like that. It's real weird win conditions. It's really specific synergies. And then the card advantage engines, those also just don't really exist in the same way that they do today either. So getting any sort of card selection, and that was really hard to do if you weren't playing blue. And so... I, it kind of was the wild west when you think about it as far as how people were coming about just learning about the format even because it really wasn't all that common for such a long time, even though folks that were playing it had been playing it for a while. For sure, yeah. And like nowadays, people who are a little nostalgic for that era, Matt, I think you've got a pre-DH deck yourself mm -hmm. where it's just like, hey, I want to play in a pod where it's just like we're only using cards from back in this specific time. I think specifically the cutoff is like Scars of Mirrodin or, or something like that. Yep. Um, and, and that's just a place where you can be like, oh, these are all some much older cards and this feels like a very different creature than what Commander has become today. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a Sig River Guide pre-EDH deck, and it's a lot of fun. It, it's nice to be able to go back, and when I got back into Magic, when I, it was around the Theros time, so it was still after the, the Commander pre-cons had been coming out, but the cards that I had from when I was a kid fell into this era, and so it was a chance mm -hmm. to just play one of those nostalgia-driven formats, and I very much I, I enjoy it. It's, it's nice just to be able to struggle a little bit you, you, the training wheels definitely are not there when it comes yeah. to how you get to win a games but yeah it's it's yeah. fun it's a good deck 
so the next uh, era is after they started designing Commander products, and it's just those two eras. That's the end of the show. Uh, if everyone wants <laughs> to right. find us on socials, you can look at. <laughs> okay, no, I'm kidding. Uh, moving on, I, I, I personally feel like the next thing is actually not so much an era as like a standalone moment. I don't think it ties into the pre-DH moment. And I also don't think that it ties necessarily into the, uh, the the stuff that we're going to discuss a little bit later. But the introduction of the Commander 2011 product with Mimiplasm, with Gave, with all of those, uh, the, you know, Kalia, all of those things first coming out, that feels to me almost like its own standalone thing, particularly because we didn't get a set of Commander Precons in 2012, the following year. This was a very test the waters moment that I think makes it standalone in isolation uh and so i don't know to me it feels very first season of rupaul's drag race and we're not sure if this is actually going to work <laughs> um and so we're just sort of like testing testing out some of these waters and seeing how it goes so to me the commander 2011 product is kind of its own thing that doesn't belong to the future and doesn't belong to the past it, yeah it, it's a strange little window where you have a, a handful of commanders that are are really good in kind of the modern version of what we see today. Kali the Vast is still a very solid commander. Mimeoplasm is still a very solid commander. What up? There are some things that were designed in this window that that still hold up today, but they also didn't quite get what the format would eventually be. I shouldn't say they didn't understand it, but like where it's evolved. At the time, there was a whole lot of cards in there that seemed to work under the notion that everyone would like pool their resources. So there was... Join the joined forces cards and stuff. So oh, yeah. the, the, from the design point of view, it seemed to feel like everyone was going to be really friendly in terms of like <laughs> building up their, their armies in a way that that really hasn't been how Commander has shaped out. And how, um, how wrong were they with that assumption? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, 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 it's an interesting window to see what the the vision of the format, what they thought it was going to be and in the the places they hit and the places they missed. Um, and once you get to that that kind of next era, you can see that they've they realized what worked and what didn't. Yeah, I think so. It, it, this is also the time where we were still getting designs like spell crumple because mm -hmm. remember how commander tucking used to be a thing. Yeah. Um, so just like, oh yeah, rules were a little bit different. Um, but but also not just in terms of the the the, the precon itself, but like around this time too, um, like in the 2010 2011 sort of uh, moment of design, that was when we were also still getting cards like exsanguinate or Sarah ascendant and exsanguinate draining everyone and you gain that much life total that was drained. That's not the kind of design that they make anymore today. Instead, it would just be everyone loses that much life and you gain that much life or Sarah Ascendant, which has a, a big buff if you have more than 25 life. Well, in a like, format where you start with 40 life, it automatically gets all of the huge big buffs. And those are also the types of designs that they wouldn't do today. So paying very close attention to multiplayer, like how these types of designs in standard sets would affect multiplayer also was not necessarily forefront on the mind, I think. Well, and we also were coming out of kind of one of the most powerful eras of constructed magic at the time too. You know, we just had Cobblade formats. And so now we're all of a sudden we're into yeah. Delver in standard where that was another very kind of high powered standard format where it was very skill testing. And so one thing that I think really helped out the popularity of a casual format was it was a break from this very, very hyper tuned standard format, which standard has been the most popular format pretty much through the existence 
uh, or type two, however, whatever you want to call all the old formats, but <laughs> standard has largely been one of the most played formats. And so all of a sudden you had a break from standard and extended and, and legacy and everything playing this fun, casual format. And I think that's really what helped because I mean, Innistrad standard was so, so packed oh, yeah. with a lot of just very, very dense decks. And so being able to get a break from that probably helped the popularity of Commander, just was that kind of perfect storm. Well, there was also just a, in a general sense, a huge influx of new players from basically Innistrad onward. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of their first experiment with this set that like resonated outside of the Magic community. It was playing with a lot of these horror tropes that were really well known by the average person. And that there was a big uh, uh, increase in the amount of packs they sold to new players starting with Innistrad and, and it kind of ramped upward from that point on, but that was that break point. Mm. So you had a bunch of things happening simultaneously. You had a, you were coming off a really strong standard. You were moving into a standard where all of a sudden they were selling a lot of packs, people that hadn't played Magic beforehand, and you're seeing com commanders start to happen at the same time. So all of those things were occurring simultaneously, and that's a lot of directions for design to have to look at the same time. Very, very much. So, so yeah, that is sort of its own standalone thing. But then comes, like, we, we didn't get a Commander Precon product in 2012, but eventually we did again in 2013. And that, I think, marks the beginning of a new era. Matt, why was this one defined? <laughs> so this one, I, I, I would guess that you can probably define it as when they finally started realizing that you can do different things out of the command zone. Because if you look at some of the, especially the pre-constructed decks that they had that first came out in, in the 2013 decks, there was a lot that had to do with the command zone, whether it was Derevi, which was that super, super popular band commander that you could cheat the mana or the, the commander tax and just yeah. putting the card just out of the command zone which hadn't been done before. But then you also had stuff like Prosh, Sky Raider of Kerr, which was the Jund commander that the more times you cast it, the more times you got to make a huge army of kobolds. <laughs> and so very, very quickly they realized, oh, maybe this was pushing it a little too far too fast. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think that this era for us is kind of limited within like 2013 up to the, like 2015. And it's a lot of the designs, like legendary creatures, especially at the faces of precons, really had a lot of experiments. Like 2013, we had those where they were messing around with the command zone in different ways. But in 2014, we got planeswalkers as commanders. In 2015, we got experience counters, another thing that you can't interact with um, in its own different zone as well. And uh, that, that, that just like, yeah, like they, they started playing around not just with the command zone but also like starting to be like hmm, let's try a few other things in this multiplayer format let's see what we can do and we got like random curses in the deck i think that they still needed some time to figure out multiplayer matters cards at this point like we were getting like curse of the forsaken which is like oh whenever you attack this person you gain one life and i'm like that's not very good <laughs> um so like some of the card designs in the 99 were still very hit and miss but in terms overall of like what we we're getting here was like one precon set a year with some experiments beginning to occur yeah, I think the notable thing about this particular era is it's the first time when they realized we can do things with these commanders unique to this format. Yeah. I mentioned Kali the Vast being still a really good card today and Mimeoplasm still being really good, but there's nothing intrinsic about those card designs that says commander. Kalia could very easily have been a card in Alara that just so happened to be a good commander card. Same thing with Mimeoplasm. There's nothing about those that screamed commander. They just happened to be good in commander. Sure. Whereas this 2013 through 2015 era, 
it, it's their first time when they're really playing in that space and kind of feeling out, oh, we can do things that are specific and, and commander niche based. So what does that look like? And they're kind of feeling that out and there's misses and there's hits, but, but that's to me, what defines this era is, is the realization that they can like do things they hadn't done before because this is a space that doesn't exist anywhere else. Well, and a little bit of kind of pushback, I guess, against that comment, Dana, or maybe more building off of it, however you want to frame it. I don't think it was their first chance to design for a commander because they, they did a, a pre-constructed deck block, whatever you want to call it beforehand, but it was their first chance to design for commander. Now that they kind of understood just fundamentally what commander even was because beforehand, I don't, I think they just kind of said, well, let's just do this and we'll see what happens. But they had a chance to kind of reevaluate that, you know, this was a couple years later. And so now they started to get cards that were planted for non-standard formats. Mm. And that's really what kind of messed things up a little bit in the eyes of 60 card players. Cause Yes, we got Bane of Progress, but then you had cards like Toxic Deluge and True Name Nemesis and Baleful Strix that all of a sudden, yeah. those were just legacy staples from the instant that they were introduced. And in some cases, intentionally so, yes. because it's it's easy to, if you weren't around back then, it's it's easy to, to maybe not realize this. There just weren't a lot of venues to print cards that would work for eternal formats that wouldn't destroy standard. Mm -hmm. And it was, there wasn't a modern masters kind of environment. Basically your chance to print a card to balance an eternal format without messing up standard was commander. So we get things like fluster storm and trade nemesis popping up in commander that weren't necessarily that good at commander cards and were absolute bombs in other formats. Cause like yes. that was the way to introduce cards for those formats because nothing else existed. Yeah. So we're used to a world today where everything is a way to introduce cards to commander. There was this weird little window where commander was a way to introduce cards to other formats. Mm -hmm. I was going to bring up Flusterstorm as well, because that really felt like a, a, a safety net for the first Commander 2011 product of just like, let's put this here because we know that at least the 60 card constructed folks are really going to go for this one in case this whole Commander thing is a total flop. Yeah, um, sure, And True Name right. Nemesis, Matt, that you brought up, also totally the same. Toxic Deluge, certainly a powerhouse card in Commander, but like, let's be real, Legacy has been like, mm, ever since it saw that card. Yes. Um, and, and we did get some of those gems like Bane of Progress, which still are really great to this day. But it was still a lot of like the experimentation of like what's good in Commander and we're sort of hedging our bets by having these these other cards planted for other formats in here as well because we know for sure that those are popular and we'll see what we can try out with this whole Commander thing. So that's what this 2013 to 2015 era feels like to me is a hedging the bets experiment type of, uh, of timeline. Yeah, mo Modern Horizons as a set and concept wouldn't exist if it weren't for how Commander and the pre-constructed decks really worked in this time. Mm -hmm. And to get a little bit meta here, uh, beyond just the cards being printed, this was the era where people really began to dig back through Magic's history for cards that were really good in Commander that had kind of been forgotten before. Sure. This was the era when Rhystic Study really became a thing. Mm -hmm. Not that I hadn't seen play before, but like this was the window where our shops actually began putting them in their cases because commander players wanted them. This was the era where people would store like I, I, I had a store here locally in town that was talking about how they would sell 20 strip mines a week and they, you know, two years earlier, they wouldn't sell one a month. But commander players were buying these $3 strip mines, which is what they cost at the time, <laughs> to put in their commander decks because they were they were digging back these old cards that hadn't seen any previous play. And that 
that really started to take off in this window when people were basically mining Magic's history for stuff that would work in Commander. So listeners now, they just wouldn't believe this if you weren't playing back then. But Cyclonic Rift was a bulk rare. <laughs> yeah, Cyclonic Rift, you, you would open it in a pack and you would be disappointed. <laughs> and it, so, yeah, it, absolutely. It was a time to just dig through all of your bulk boxes. That It was probably the last time that Commander was a bulk rare format. And that's... yeah. It was fantastic, but yeah, it's it's really cool to dig through history and see what you could have found back then. Kind of like you dig through history and see all the times we've stolen the challenge stats. Segue from Joey, crying out loud, <laughs> crying out loud. Nice. Dang it. I, historical I, precedent. I wanted to talk about the next era of 2016 <laughs> and conspiracy stuff onward so bad, but which no. we can do after after we take a quick break. <laughs> Oh, man. You know what? I'm actually <laughs> pulling down the curtain here. I'm pulling like Matt fully in our show notes in our document right now. He was just like, oh, I've got something off of what Dana just said to be like, oh, OK, then and I'll I wait did. for Matt to talk. <laughs> and I he did. did have something to say. <laughs> but it turned but, out what he was going to say was a ham fisted segue <laughs> into challenge stats because I'm not allowed to do that. So Matt has resorted not just to like the verbal trickery, but also like even the cues that we use to make the show just kind of flow better. <laughs> Matt, Matt was like abusing the fact that we share a Google Doc in order to steal the Segway. Nice. Listeners, he goes so extra for you all, and I hope you appreciate it because crying out I'm, loud. Matt. I'm a man <laughs> of the people. I give the people what they want. <laughs> all right. There's a lot of data on Nita Trek, but don't always agree with it. So we'll come right back after this break. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Ah! <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So my challenge this week is for Zerium Golden Wind decks. Uh, for those who don't recall, that's the legendary Griffin we got from back in Dominara United. It's a 3-4 with flying for 4 mana, 3 and a white. And it says, whenever a Griffin you control deals combat damage to a player, create a 2-2 white Griffin creature token with flying. That's actually a pretty solid commander. Uh, the problem with that deck being, number one, it's mono white. Number two... Every Griffin is just terrible. Um, <laughs> but you know what? There are bodies with flying. You can get through it. It actually winds up being a much better deck than you would think. Um, and one of the reasons it's a much better deck than you would think is because the trigger on Zerium Golden Wind is whenever a Griffin you control deals combat damage to a player, you create a 2-2 white Griffin creature token. There's there's no text here that says once a turn. Um, and you can trigger that off double strike twice. So my challenge here is for Duelist Heritage, which is currently just showing up in 18% of Zarya the Golden Wind decks. Duelist Heritage is a standalone enchantment. It's not an aura, so you don't have to risk getting two for one like with Battle Mastery. And you could just give a creature double strike during combat. And we've talked in the past about how useful that is to just give your opponent's creatures when they aren't swinging at you double strike. It's fantastic. But in this deck, it's also really good because it lets you make twice as many Griffins and twice as many griffins then make twice as many griffins next turn when they hit somebody. Um, having the ability to just double proc that in this deck is really, really useful. True Conviction's in about 60% of these decks, and it absolutely should be because it affects all your griffins, but you just always want to have a double strike enabler out 
you know, you probably don't want to have like four or five of them in the deck because they don't stack, but having a backup plan is really good. And Duelist Heritage is the best backup plan to True Conviction you can be running. And it should be in more than 18% of these Zerium decks. I, I like that redundancy a lot, especially because Zerium is pretty cheap to cast and True Conviction can, mm -hmm. you, you can even sandbag that one as like a late game, no one sees it coming kind of finisher. Yeah. But, but more importantly, Duelist Heritage is the kind of thing that like, this will help me actually get the strategy off the ground earlier, as opposed to True Conviction, which I can't cast until much later when I've got some stuff already established. So yeah. I, I really, really like that one. Duelist Heritage, really cool design. Zerium, also, I, I really like that design too. So I, I look forward to being uh, heritaged by any Zerium players that I come across. Um, all <laughs> I'll go to my challenge here, and I've got an overplayed challenge for a relatively new commander. Uh, Julodoc Void Gorger is the colorless face commander from the new Eldrazi Unbound precon. It's a very spicy card, 6 mana, 7, 4, legendary creature Eldrazi, and colorless spells that you cast from your hand with mana value of 7 or greater have 2 instances of Cascade. So if you play a 7 drop, you'll flip until you find, say, the, I don't know, the top 4 drop, and also the top 5 drop of, of your deck or something like that. This is a very, very spicy commander I, I gotta push back against one of the cards that's showing up on its page though in about 27 28 percent of Julodoc decks we're seeing endless one show up in in these decks and i i don't think that 28 percent of people 28 percent of the 3800 Julodoc players out there should be playing this one endless one is an x cost zero zero that enters with x plus one counters on it we, we've talked about it before when you're cascading and you cascade into a thing like x is going to be zero so you will get a total cascade whiff off of this you will play it it will be a zero zero it will immediately die don't don't play this one in your log decks I, if you like eldrazi totally understand that's really cool and yes you can cast this one for seven if it's in your hand but the likeliest scenario is that you're going to cascade into this and totally whiff when you could have gotten something really really cool instead so take this one out of your Julodoc decks that is my challenge yep age-old favorite don't play x spells in your cascade decks x spells in cascade pretty dangerous still don't do it yep so i'll move into my challenge then so mine is submitted to us by a listener who went to patreon.com edhretcast join our discord community and then we have a channel specifically for challenging stats and so trogdenite is their username uh Good on you, Trogdonite. Um, <laughs> but they had a really good comment, a really good catch for overplayed cards, which we always appreciate seeing. So Trogdonite commented that uh, they want to challenge stats for Nikki of the Old Ways decks, or really any deck running Primal Surge. If you're playing Primal Surge as more than just a value piece to get a few permanents, you can't run any other cards that draw you a card when they enter the battlefield. Otherwise, you're going to deck yourself. Uh, so they mentioned specifically cards like Elemental Bond, Guardian Project. Those aren't May abilities. Garrick's Uprising is not a you may draw a card, it is you have to draw a card. So when you're when you're looking at all these cards in these Primal Surge decks, and when you look at Nikki of the Old Ways, the page for the commander, over a third of the decks are playing Primal Surge as a way to generate a ton of value. So what you want to be sure of when you're building the deck is not being mindful of when you're gonna cast that Primal Surge. If you're going to put those Garrick's Uprisings, those Guardian Projects into the battlefield, you're going to end up decking yourself if you're playing the Oops All Permanence version of the deck. So be very mindful of that. Uh, Garrick's Uprising is being played in 12% of those of these Nikia decks. And the typical deck isn't playing a ton of non-creatures because of Nikia's ability that says you can't play non-creature spells, but there still is going to be at least a few in the every given deck. So make sure you're mindful of when you're casting these Primal Surges because every now and then we see it happen and it's just like, well, 
<laughs> you kind of knew what was going to happen. So this is a really good catch. Uh, thank you for the sub, uh, the submission, Trogdonite. Uh, it's always good to hear from our listeners. And again, patreon.com slash EDHRECcast if you want to submit your own challenges. Hey, oh, uh, yeah. Garrick's Uprising. I, I just looked at the page for Primal Surge, and Garrick's Uprising shows up in 22% of decks that contain Primal Surge. Guardian Project shows up in 19% of decks that contain Primal Surge. And it's just like, yeah, watch out, because like they're, they're great value engines, but if you're playing a dedicated Primal Surge deck, they could kill you. <laughs> so like, be careful. Okay, so back to the main topic here. Um, I, I think the next kind of split we want to delve into is 2016, when we got Conspiracy Take the Crown. And that feels like it kind of marks the beginning of multiplayer matters when it comes to design. Yeah, yeah. I think this one, to my estimation, this next like slot of time is like between 2016 up to 2018. But yeah, this is where we got like not just one-off pre-cons a year, but also like full-on multiplayer matters sets like Battle Bond and Conspiracy, the introduction of the Monarch. We had abilities like Goad and Melee, Will of the Council, things like that. Uh, like we, we really got like, okay, some attention, some true attention is now being paid to the way that multiplayer games go. And and we're no longer getting some of those silly curses that or, or those join forces cards that you were talking about, Dana. We're getting some stuff that's just like, oh, the Monarch, like the lean forward, we are compelled by this. And there's some stuff that was made here that lingers with us to this day in its like ingenuity with how it interfaces with multiplayer magic. Yeah, and in the pre-constructed decks too, they still continue to push the boundaries as far as what can commanders do. Uh, I know a lot of folks don't love Eminence, but they, they were like, <laughs> okay, how can we have commanders kind of make an impact without actually being on the battlefield? And so that's when we started to see uh, the, the creature type matters pre-constructed decks. Those were a big one. Uh, but we also had partners. How many commanders can you put in the command zone? Yeah. And that also that that continued to evolve too. So there was a lot. It wasn't just how people are playing with multiplayer formats. How are people playing with the command zone as well. And that was, there was a lot of experimentation going on that has ripple effects moving forward. That is totally true. I, I think like to me, at least in this, uh, this era though, it, it still very much felt like the, the specific place that I would want to go to for commanders was still like in the commander precons. Those were still the most engaging things to me. And we didn't always, like in standard sets, the legends were not always geared quite as compellingly towards the commander players. Like this this time window is where we got the Ulrich disaster for all those werewolf <laughs> players who were just like, oh, we'll finally get a, a werewolf legend. And then it was Ulrich of the Crowlin Horde. Then was, they did not finally get a werewolf commander. Right, right. So there was still that disconnect where like, and, and to be honest, like, like in, in hindsight, there are pieces of that where I'm just like, thank goodness that they weren't like paying too much attention to commander and standard sets. But at the same time, like just the, the it felt like there was a severe disparity between the legends that we would get in pre-constructed decks versus the legends that we would get in commander decks. I felt like the Gishaths were more of a one-off rarity and the Ulrichs were more of a common situation in standard constructed sets. Yeah, I think this was the era where commander players first started to expect Watsi to give them treats in every single set for the most part, <laughs> uh -oh. kind of. Um, Dana, that was troublingly worded. <laughs> yeah, well, in the Elric is a good example of that. Like, the, lots of pe people were kind of frustrated that that card wasn't designed in a way to be really good in Commander. And uh, I think this is a really good example, because I think we're going to come back to this in, in the very near future, where maybe getting what you thought you wanted isn't always <laughs> the, the best thing. 
A lot of people thought they wanted Watsi to design cards specifically for Commander, and I'm not saying it's bad that they did necessarily, but getting what you want has impacts that perhaps people didn't anticipate back when they were mad they didn't have their Werewolf Commander. <laughs> Oh, there's a lot to unpack there, but yes, there is. <laughs> but 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 to build off of it, so Dana alluded to uh, uh, something that we're going to talk about here in a second. But this was the last time that in standard legal sets we were getting less than ten legendary creatures per set. We didn't. Yeah. Ravnica Allegiance is the last set with single digit legendary creatures, and 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 Ravnica Allegiance. I remember that block when we the the third time I want to say that we went to Ravnica was a very, very good set for Commander players. There were a lot of really good cards in there. There were some very interesting legends. Yeah. But we, there just wasn't a ton of legends in there. But the legends that we did get were really cool. Like we had Tesa Karlov. We had a lot of really cool things in this era when it comes to the legendary creatures that we were given. Yeah, and, and one thing I think that that impacts the next layer of design, the next wedge we'll get into from this one is the the commander card they designed with commander in mind in other sets that became very popular. You mentioned Tesa as a really good example. That became a very popular card and it's a very powerful commander. And I think that's the kind of thing the Wizards of the Coast in terms of design took notice of. Hmm. This was something that is powerful in commander that was very popular. And I think they set out to replicate that in a lot of ways from this point moving forward. Yeah, so if we were, uh, if there was a lot to unpack about that, now we're getting into the next one, and there's even more to unpack here because <laughs> y'all were getting into 2019. Uh, Matt, you mentioned Ravnica Allegiance was one of the last times, if not the last time, that we saw a single digit number of legends in a set. Well, around there, right after that, was War of the Spark, Throne of Eldraine, the Brawl Precons, Modern Masters, all of which sported like at minimum 20 legends per set or something like that. And, um, this this was where we really got to see, Dana, as you were talking about, some powerhouse designs. And I think that's kind of how we've designed, uh, we, we've defined this particular era, 2019 and 2020. That's where they officially began fire design, as they call it, which stood for fun, inviting, replayable, and exciting. Um, and they really pushed an envelope. They they really made some some designs that are still wreaking havoc to this day. <laughs> they, they pushed all the envelopes to the point where this is when the United States Postal Service also started struggling. <laughs> wow! <laughs> That's how many envelopes were pushed in this era of design. Yeah, so, okay, we've, we've all heard of Corvold and Tulane, but, like, well, that's also where we got Golos. That's also where we got Kenrith. This is also where we got, like... Urza, you know, like this is this is like, okay, there's some stuff happening. Yeah, I think this is the point where there's an intentionality to the cards that are designed where someone behind the scenes is specifically saying this card is going to sell packs to commander players because they are want, going to want to get this very playable and very powerful card to build a deck around. And I think that was this is really the first time we are seeing that in other sets mm -hmm. where, where, where instead of seeding Fluffsterstorm into Commander for legacy players, they're seeding cards into Standard for Commander players with the intent that Commander players will seek these things out for their Commander decks. Well, well not only that, they're seeding Commander into Standard because they tried the whole Companion thing in Ikori. Right, right. <laughs> they're like, let's literally bring an aspect of Commander into other constructed venues. 
Gee, what an idea that was. Just I, this is where I think a lot of the focus on EDH got so intense that it really became a point of disregarding some of the health of the other formats out there. And uh, I know that a lot of constructed players don't like that. For the record, commander players didn't like it either. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, the argument can be made that a d disregarding it for the sake of the commander wasn't healthy for commander. And stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, the, my biggest struggle, too, and, and to to be very clear, this is not taking a shot at anybody and their, and their skills and card design, because we've said many times how difficult it is to design cards in a healthy format. Mm. But I think that a lot of folks that were designing commander-specific cards in this era didn't actually play commander themselves, or they didn't, they weren't fans of the format. You can tell with some of the, the legendary creature designs. It was how would a 60-card competitive player approach designing a card and then put it in the command zone. And that's when we saw a lot of these designs where everything was so pushed to what was at the time an unhealthy level. Now, the rest of the format has caught up to what a lot of the legends were doing in this era. Mm. But for a time there, it was almost play these specific commanders or you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Yeah. And, and there are ways where I'm just like, there, there were things here that I got that I had always wanted. So I, I struggle to look at this always as a negative, like War of the Spark is where we got Feather, one of my beloved commanders. That is a deck that I have since taken apart. But like at long last, I finally had a, a commander for a character that I'd loved from the novelizations. And I was like, oh, this is this is wonderful. Thank goodness. And she's also like decent. This is like a, a, a slight foray away from what Boros has normally been doing for for all of this time. So I'm like, oh, this is this is very interesting. But everything else that also came along with that was just very, uh, very difficult to swallow at the same time. Although one other thing that I'll note that um, I don't think was necessarily a bad thing here, but like in, in this 2019-2020 era, like Ikoria, the Ikoria precons were also the first time that the precons were lining up with the, the main sets rather than being random, like... Oh, you know, whatever was happening in, in 2016, Atraxa was not connected to the main set necessarily. Um, so like that was also an interesting shift that we started to see as a lot of those uh, design venues started to come together. And that that in general, I'm actually like, oh, that that was at least kind of a kind of a cool thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the fact that there were fierce guardianship level cards in those precons was maybe not as cool of a thing. <laughs> but the no. fact that things were lining up and there was some synergy there, I'm like, that is something I do appreciate. Yeah. So so to back up just a little bit, I do want to point out that I think Wizards of the Coast and the design team in general between the, this 2016 era. So the previous era that we were talking about with Conspiracy, Take the Crown and this current one here. They learned a lot of very, very valuable lessons that benefit the designs that we got after this. So just because of the delay that we always see within, you know, a new set is released and they're going to take those notes, they're going to learn lessons from what happened and what went wrong, especially, and then they're going to fix that moving forward. It takes about two years from when a card is, or from when a set is released until they're able to design the next set that they're able to kind of take that feedback. Mm -hmm. So the lessons that were learned in this time span were extremely valuable for the future health of the format. And I do want to give a lot of credit to how a lot of the feedback that players gave to Wizards of the Coast over this time period was implemented. And, and I'm very grateful for the the lessons that were learned here. I feel that. Well, and we've been focusing a little bit on the commanders too, but like in addition to all of this over the course of this arc, we've also seen the, a, a change in how they're designing cards that are in the 99. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest problems in the early days was like Red's lack of card draw. And they spent over the course of this arc starting, you know, I, I, Outpost Siege is the card that jumps out at me in, in terms of like giving Red their their kind of quote unquote Frexian Arena um, with Impulse Draw. 
at this point, I, I, it very much like, and I think we've done shows talking about how Red's kind of that problem's been solved. Mm. There are so many different card draw or card advantage options in Red now, and and they spent this this arc of time working on addressing that. Um, White took a little bit longer, and it's probably maybe still a work in progress. Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> they've been work, but they've been working on that as well. Like like. There was an attempt to also shore up some other weaknesses in the format in in colors and color pairing, um, and, and they got better at doing that a, a, along this this way too. As they got better at designing commanders and making things work better in the format, they figured out what things in the ninety nine work really well in the format. Mm -hmm. Now, Matt, I I have a question about this particular point specifically, and, and there's mm -hmm. a thing that you said on a couple of past episodes here, and I wonder if this is the moment to it, it, to interrogate it a little bit further. Um, okay, but you you've kind of noted that there was a certain point where it started to feel like Commander, instead of always feeling like an eternal format where, yes, you can't play anything, there was a point where it started to feel a little bit like a rotating format. Was yeah. that point here or was it further on? I think this is when it kind of not formally started, but when we really started seeing that kind of theory play out because mm. not only did like the card quality, like we've all pointed out several cards ago in the 99, you, you have the fierce guardianships and all that stuff, but not just the, the quality of the cards, but the density and the amount of cards. This is when we started seeing a ramp up in supplemental products. So that's when we started seeing a whole bunch, not just very, very powerful cards, but a lot of them coming out where all of a sudden you couldn't really have these low floor role players anymore because they had a high floor role player that was gonna do the exact same thing, only better. That was just kind of pushing a lot of those cards out of the format. So I know a lot of the conversation just in the community around this time was like, I still wanna play these old cards that I want to play, but I feel like I can't because these new cards are just too good not to play. And I, that's one thing I think I appreciate a lot about the rules committee, the the commander advisor group. I know our friend Olivia Gobert Hicks, she's always talking, just play the cards you want to play. Don't feel pressure on, and especially don't put pressure on yourself to try to play this new card. Play the cards you want to play, no matter how good they are. And that's one sentiment that I, I've tried to maintain in my deck building. I don't always do a very good job of it, but I try to at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. And, and I think I would also agree specifically because 2019, uh, the, the, the Brawl Pecans introducing Arcane Signet is just like, oh, yeah. well, that's sort of a best in class. Oops. And we started to receive a few more of those cards that felt like best in class. And especially mm -hmm. the fact that they were so ubiquitous was also a problem. Like if there's a best in class for a super niche strategy, like, okay, that's kind of like, you know, that's a, a niche decks need a little bit more extra, extra pump to make them get there. But when a card can really just go just about anywhere, uh, I mean, that's where even Wizards of the Coast has been like, yeah, no, stuff like Arcane Signet. That was a mistake. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's, that, I agree with your sentiment here that like this, this was a point where it started to feel like a lot of cards were getting pushed out of the stuff that you could actually uh, feasibly do. But it's an important thing to hold on to what you were just saying there too, about like, just play what you want. Don't feel pressured, even if the cards are like looming large in mm -hmm. some of the ways that they started to here. Well, let's get into the next phase then. And this is one that all the things that we started talking about in this most recent phase of, you know, we're getting a lot more product, we're getting a lot more legends. Mm -hmm. This is when it becomes not just like a curve, but like a, a deluge of just <laughs> legends. Everything is legendary starting now. Yeah, the Kaldheim, cur the Kaldheim curve or the Kaldheim spike? Because we really got all, a, a very big difference. I think I, it was. I uh, like alliteration. So, but Dana, you might be the the, the breaking vote here. Kaldheim curve, I think. I, I'm with you. That's, that's what All right, go. there we go. 
Because because the set before we had 17 legends in the Zendikar set that came before it, but then we got 33 legends in Kaldheim that came right after it, and there were more than 70 legends in the Commander Legends set because draft environment. There was more partner experimentation, the monocolored partners there. But yeah, 2021 was where we started to get what we'll call the Deluge era. Well, and it's 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 just absolutely mind-boggling. We had Dominaria, the, the first set that we kind of revisited Dominaria, where it was a Legends Matter set. So it's kind of like uh, when we first were in Kamigawa, where, oh, it's it's kind of got a theme around it of legendary things matter. And we had that again in Dominaria. So we, okay, we kind of had a reasoning why there were 40 plus Legends in Dominaria. And then we went to Zendikar, like, oh, that's that's a lot of Legends for it, it not being the theme. And then Kaldheim, it's really just where they establish the new normal, hmm. where everything's going to be legendary. All these signpost commons and uncommons that we used to see kind of telling people in, in draft formats, okay, green, white, you probably want to do this strategy. In red, black, you want to do this. All of those suddenly became legendary and just the number of legendary creatures we got in every single set skyrocketed because of it. Mm-hmm. So from this era, the the one thing that really stands out at me that that changed was the focus um, in the design of the precon decks. Mm. Um, a lot of times there was a split focus prior to this, um, or if the deck you know had a had a specific focus, I'm thinking of perhaps the Estrid, um, the mass deck that had three Enchantress commanders, that was a relatively focused deck. But there weren't a ton of cards in that deck necessarily that like were really important to maybe that archetype. In this era, we started getting very specifically focused commander decks that were filled with a bunch of new cards that were really powerful in that archetype. Mm. And that's the thing we thought we wanted. (laughs) Um, And I'm not saying we didn't. I think there's a lot of upsides to that. If you were a new player, for example... Being able to grab a precon that has a really specific theme and a bunch of good cards that, you know, maybe push that theme over the top in terms of like winning a game or whatever. That's probably a, a pretty good thing to have, I think. And additionally, not everyone has a ton of time to brew. So like being able to find a lot of those things in a single package is very useful too. The downside that I think nobody really anticipated when we were asking for all of these things is I think now we have a situation where if you have a deck with a certain theme and a precon comes out with that same theme, it's just going to have probably 20 cards in it that are better than the the deck that you brewed up. Mm. So your choice then becomes either to not run them, in which case you're just running a worse version of the deck, or to run them and have your deck functionally look like the precon that just came out. The brew that you may have been playing with for five or six years is now going to wind up looking just like a deck that, you know, it came out last week. Um, is, is that bad? I don't know, but it's definitely a change. That's 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 a new thing that we hadn't experienced before. Yeah. To talk about, you know, something that's brand new, we just got a, a two-color fairy type of deck um, from, the, from the new Eldraine set with a bunch of really good black and blue fairies in it. So much so that if you were already playing a black-blue fairy deck, you're just going to put almost every one of those fairies in that deck, and you're now running basically that precon. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I personally don't love it, but it's definitely a new thing that we didn't deal with in the past. When a deck came out that maybe had a theme similar to yours, it wasn't one that felt like it supplanted your deck, and I think that's in the era we're in right now. That That's what happens. 
Yeah. Uh, like, on the one hand, I'm glad that we get fewer Teferi's protections, fewer uh, accidental Dockside extortionists, sure. <laughs> like fierce guardianships, like these chase cards that feel like just about anything can use these. Um, and instead, we're getting, like, in this era, we got more of the Horde Wing Scobs, where it's just like, oh, you know, this is only going to be useful for zombie decks. Or, uh, like, New Capenna would be in 2022, like, 2021, 2022 is the, the era we're currently looking at. And so... Um, it having damning verdict as a card it's like a wrath that is one-sided uh if creatures aren't wearing plus one counters uh or actually any type of counter um and like i do prefer those to just like here's the next good wrath that goes everywhere um you know more cyclonic rifts we do not need <laughs> except for if you are playing white and you're playing a counter deck you're almost always going to be running damning verdict yes yeah. um because it's so specifically good in that deck so mm -hmm. yeah it's six and one half dozen on the other i'm not i'm not going to say one is better than the other um but I, there are unintended consequences of a lot of things that that we and by we i literally mean we in this case like yeah, yeah. <laughs> things that maybe we asked for for a lot of years now that we've gotten and we didn't really realize what that meant until we actually got it well and, and so like especially in this in this era i think we had like two two episodes we've done in the past are coming to mind because we had one about like the the deluge when when Caldheim came out and we were just like all right the number of legends is increasing that is affecting the way that we build decks because stuff like clones for example they're different now they don't work as well when you've got like 10 legends just just accidentally in your deck and then we've also done uh, an episode about like are these decks sort of just like building themselves now because of the hyper specific niche cards that we're getting in precons that we saw in this time so like yeah i feel you dana but also i'm not sure like it, it like you said it's just like uh, i mean there are some things that we left behind that are good though so <laughs> i but i also i struggled to think that these consequences that we're getting where it's specific answers for specific decks are worse somehow than Oh, here's a just generally amazing bomb card, and we're getting seven cyclonic rifts a year, sure. and we're getting all these Teferi's protection type of cards. I would one thousand percent rather get a super specific role player that it just happens to be great in that one deck or one strategy than a deck that you're going to see and it suddenly becomes a seventy like a great henge, for example. Mm. I would so much rather have cards that aren't great henge, even though I love great henge. I have in so many decks. But the point is, like, that card is just so good that not only does it just go in every deck, but like, it gets expensive, too. Everybody wants five of those, of those cards, yeah. and it's just so hard. Whereas you get these specific answers and specific powerhouses, that's when the game just gets so much more accessible, too, because the, the cards aren't nearly as expensive. Yes, yeah. I, I, I fully agree with you. I... This this one, it, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I do think it's overall better medicine for us is maybe uh, how I'll phrase it. Um, sure. So I feel you on that. There is at least... Uh, there are a few other points that happened in this time slot, though, that I think are important. Like I mentioned New Capenna earlier, and the treasure explosion really does happen in this point in time. And that is worth noting because like, whew, that was a bit unrestrained, especially around New Capenna of just like, oh, there's treasures like genuinely just everywhere now. Um, and that is a big shift in the way that we have to interface with like what these little pieces of metal can do to battlefields. Um, but this was also like Commander 2021. I just want to shout out specifically because it was finally a moment in time where they decided that Boros was allowed to have more than just equipment and feather as a personality. And I just appreciate that because like, like they, they were trying on white card design for a long time. Dana, you were mentioning like, oh, red impulse draw in the previous era. But here we were still struggling. Like in the last era, they were they were trying. But like we still got Cartographer's Hawk in the C20 precons and Verge Rangers in the Commander 20 precons. And like in the previous era, they also had marketed Commander Legends as having powerful white cards. But we got stuff like Seraphic Greatsword. Like 
I don't think they figured out how to do a Boros um, <laughs> until 2021. And I don't think they figured out how to do white particularly until 2022 at, at last. I think it took them about a decade to like really finally figure out, all right, here's what we need to do with this color in this multiplayer format, finally. Well, and Mark Rosewater, who has always been very, very transparent in whether it's his blog or his podcast or anything like that, has f been very vocal about how they, they kind of came to the realization that we can't keep kneecapping white because we think it shouldn't be. Mm. And they needed to change their perception because their perception suddenly wasn't really becoming the norm anymore. So they had to admit, okay, white just cannot compete anymore unless we push boundaries and we really play around with how we execute what white does. So thankfully... They've been vocal in, in adapting. And again, this is where we're seeing a lot of the the lessons that were learned in those prior eras, and we're really starting to get it. Yes, maybe it took a little bit longer than the typical player would like, but we are at least seeing those results. And I, I've said this before, but a thing I also appreciate amidst the deluge is that we no longer get that situation that we had in the years before where like Edgar Markov comes out and now everyone has an Edgar Markov deck because that's the thing <laughs> that, that happened. Uh, nowadays we're getting more legends than we can keep up with which means when you sit down you may not know the commanders that you're facing against at all you may see cards you've never seen before and even if it does sometimes feel a little flustering that we can't keep up with everything that newness experience that is a fresh thing that i have come to really enjoy well fellas that finally brings us to present day uh, after all of those, we're now here in 2023, and there is another era for us to define here in, in present day. Uh, Matt, <laughs> what should we call yes. the present day era, do, do you think? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's kind of beyond expectations <laughs> and anything that we can really do. Uh, there's no way this universe can comprehend. I, I don't, <laughs> universes beyond has just been all over the place. Uh, that's what jumps out to me and just so many different ways and so many different ways to interpret that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the universes beyond explosion is I think what we've decided to call it here. Um, particularly, I think, uh, something that you mentioned, uh, before we were recording was that like Baldur's Gate seems to be especially a, a moment that kind of begins this, like, We've got a lot of cards from a lot of other IPs that are, are mixing now into the magic world. And like technically, this was a thing that happened several years prior. Like Walking Dead was not in 2023. Mm -hmm. But that walking that like that product did not actually establish a design ethos necessarily. No. Whereas in 2023, we're seeing the Baldur's Gate, the Warhammer, the Transformers, the Lord of the Rings. Um, and that's more of a, a a more common thing, and it will continue to be a more common thing. And that really feels like a new design ethos that is uh making its way on through in 2023. Yeah, I think this is also the the point in time where they are just printing win conditions for archetypes. Hmm. They've printed cards. We talked about things like the the damning verdicts that work really well in a plus one counter stack. But like we're getting cards, you know, they, if they print an enchantress deck like they just did, they're going to print one or two or three brand new cards in that deck that will probably win you the game. Uh, and that's not something we had really saw in the past. I mean, in early days, there weren't win conditions at all, really. Um, and, and as the game advanced and they printed more commander stuff, you found more of those cards that that did work in that way. And there was some intentionality of that. But like really the last year or so is when we've seen them say, okay, we're going to make this particular deck and we are going to put two brand new cards in here 
that if you are playing this archetype and you have an established board state, there's a really good chance it's going to win you the game or at least kill one player. Mm. And that's not a thing we had seen in the past, I think. And it's also, I, I, I would argue, what's lent itself to that feeling that like if you have a deck and a precon comes out that kind of mirrors your deck's archetype, you're just going to probably need to run a bunch of those cards to stay caught up. Um, so that's that's another part of that that I think is 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 relatively new. I mean, I don't know if it's relatively new because it's still pushing the, the the rotating format of Commander that we sure, kind of sure. touched on a little bit. Um, but you are right that it just we're just getting so many cards. It's not just like a card or two or a Commander or two, but it's it's a th- two or three cards per pre-constructed deck that just become these auto. I, I hate using the term staples, but these almost auto includes for so many different decks, especially if you're playing a specific theme. And it's not just, oh, it's a good board wipe if you're playing decks that care about counters on on things. It's just, oh, this card is just like a win condition and it's very easily achieved at the same time. Specifically, there's a, a thing here that I I think what sets the 2023 and also like, honestly, also the 2021 and 2022, like th- that period of time, a thing that stands out differently to me that marks it as a different era from like the fire design of 2019 is that it feels like the powerful commanders that we get here in, in, in these days are not powerful because of the fire design that they were like pushed to be hyper powerful. It feels like they are kind of powerful by accident. Like Shorakai was not tested fully and it was sort of like oh i guess that's better than we thought it was or or like we i mean we still get powerhouse commanders like miram for example but but it feels like since there are so many legends these days they don't have time to play test and and power balance every single one of them that goes out because there are just so many of them so we get more of those oh this is accidentally a whole lot better than necessarily we thought or this strategy or these commanders are not as good as we thought because there are just so many of them that balancing all of them is no longer possible um so the 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 power Powerful stuff that we get these days feels to me more like less like a purposeful thing and more like a listen we wanted to try and design some fun stuff and balancing commander we're going to rely a little bit more on the the social end of the format um and and players negotiating power levels with each other to to really balance that stuff out because actually trying to balance it in terms of the cards card design cannot solve a social problem Uh, if people want to do powerful stuff we're going to leave that to them and the card designs will just try and make sure that it's fun but that means we can't test every single thing that kind of feels to me like a big difference from 2019. I, I think that there's a huge, and I know Dana, you, you love to bring up this card specifically, but there's a huge signpost for, they just started doing things just to like make sure there's enough text on the card. It feels like, and just kind of like, oh, we're going to th- also throw this on there. Like we're going to give it ward two just as a treat. Right. But Shelob, Child of Ungoliant, the, the, the Golgari colored Shelob, it just, there's so much text on it. And, and it feels like they could have just, stopped with either the top half or the bottom <laughs> sure. half of that card. And I know that we mentioned this card specifically a lot, but it's kind of a perfect example, I think, that I'm, I'm very, very glad you brought it up, Dana, that just this card would have been great with half of the text yeah. and the other half would have been totally forgotten. And But I just, I, I don't know how to put this. It feels like they're the design team is putting pressure on themselves yeah. to make sure that all these cards are powerful instead of just letting the designs speak for themselves. And I, I know I've said on this podcast a few times, like I would be so happy to see a simple, elegant design 
that also happens to be effective. It doesn't need to have death touch and, oh, and this and this yeah. in order for it to be something that commander players are going to want to play. Make it just something that is going to be fun. It doesn't need all these extra words on there. If you're doing it for flavor reasons, I get that. But at the same time, do you need to make sure that everything is just flavor specific too? And I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and the examples that I've invoked when we've had conversations like this in the past, like Tivit was in, probably intended to be a voting commander because it has this voting ability. But the other words that they put on it are so potent in making so many other types of tokens that it is just not voting is the least interesting thing about the commander. And it's like if, if there had been fewer words on it, then maybe it actually would have done the thing that was uh, intended in the first place. Uh, or I feel like this is also the point where we're starting to get commanders that step on each other's toes. Um, I've mentioned Wolfgar and Ishin. I'm just like, huh, those came out very very close to each other and they both double attack triggers it, it's weird that we got both of those in such close proximity or mm -hmm. celestine and rodolph are, are, are there other examples as well and it does feel like these commanders are sort of like uh trying to steal each other's gigs and i'm just like uh, i feel like we don't need that and if like so that we've got a lot of lessons from previously that are still making themselves very very well known here as a byproduct of the fact that there is just so much going on yeah when, when you're when you're doing two commanders that are so similarly designed like that it I, I hate to say this but like they're they're just recycling ideas too soon and just part of that to me is just there's so much pressure on we need so many different legendaries that they're starting to recycle ideas and i know that the team is so good at their job they're, they're able to come up with new designs but just i i think this is hasbro talking not wizards of the coast talking when just we, we're doing the same thing over and over again. Um, we just have to meet this quota of legendary creatures. So of course they're going to run out of ideas eventually. Yeah, Joey touched on the the increase and how that affects increase in cards they make and how that affects testing. When they're printing ten times as many cards, I guarantee they have not devoted ten times as many hours into testing these cards. Mm -hmm. That's um, such a better way to phrase it than I did. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so things are are absolutely going to slip through. However. We've also seen a change in, in, in management at WotC where Hasbro is calling a lot of shots in a way that they weren't calling 10 years ago, Yeah, which means there's a lot of pressure to sell packs. Yeah, And while mistakes definitely happen at a higher rate, and, and by mistake, I just mean like things that weren't tested the way they thought they would be tested. I also think there's a definite intentionality to printing commanders that are very strong that will replace something that you already had to, it's like a planned obsolescence kind of thing almost. No one was confused about how powerful Miriam was. I don't think like that was a misunderstanding that that was an absolute bomb. That's a card that's going to make you upgrade your dragon deck to a Miriam deck. I think there's, there's for all the accidental things that probably happened that shaped the format, I think there's definitely an intentionality there too where like, they want you to go buy more packs in a way that perhaps Watsi wasn't too concerned about a decade ago. They obviously want to sell product, but if you, there's a there's a cynicalness I think to it that maybe wasn't there once upon a time. Now, there's a note that Matt made before we began the show that I feel like we need to mention here. Okay. Um, 
just like kind of going back to like the deluge of it all since we're still touching on that note um matt had, had noted that uh we had more legendary creatures revealed on the first day of wilds of eldraine previews than we did in all of ravnica allegiance and honestly like <laughs> yep. that that just makes me laugh a lot it's just like oh yeah we're in a new reality hmm. but, but there's a, a thing in this era especially since we called it the universe is beyond explosion and i i think that we actually might have breezed past that a little bit too quickly because i think it's important for us to say something a little bit further about the universes beyond explosion and like like yes there's some some hasbro doing the influence on the way that design is going these days and that is some bitter boots for a lot of players who've been around for a while and who miss some of the eras that we talked about at the very beginning of this show and i think to some extent or another all three of us fall into different parts of that argument mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with that said the absolute reality, the, the the genuine, just absolute reality of this is that a lot of these other things, the Doctor Who's, the upcoming Final Fantasies, the Lord of the Rings that just happened, like Lord of the Rings made big news among so many nerd spaces. Mm -hmm. They're yep. doing this because it is fundamentally bringing more players into the game. And I'm not mad about that. Like cynical or whatever or not, whatever the intentions of people don't like, like the absolute reality is that we're getting more people who play magic and that's nothing but a good thing. That specific thing is a thing I am happy to focus on and to applaud that more people will be playing Magic as a result of some of these things. I don't necessarily need to be a fan of all of the IPs that are crossing over into Magic, and if people don't like it, I get it. But whether it's motivated just by profit or, or whatever, however people want to say it, I have more people that I can play Magic against, and that rocks. Yeah, selfishly, I, I want to think that Lord of the Rings was only ever going to be the, the the set like that because Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite IPs. It's one of my it is my favorite set of all time. I, I I can just comfortably say that. But at the same time, I need to realize like the the joy that that set brought to me and how excited I was and how much I just it reinvigorated me honestly for the game. Doing that with other IPs, doing that with Assassin's Creed or, or Fallout or whatever, it's going to give that exact same feeling to so many other people and and. And I'm, I love Final Fantasy. I've played every Final Fantasy game growing up. And so maybe that'll happen again. I, I don't know. But I yeah, I need to remind myself too. Because I, I, I for some reason, in the back of my mind, I think it makes Lord of the Rings feel less special. But it's still special to me. And that's ultimately kind of what should count. Well, Joey made the point about how like you're happy that all these new players are coming in. I, I actually am as well. But let's say I wasn't. That wouldn't change anything, right? Like, the reality is, this is happening whether we like it or not. There's going to they're going to continue to print a ton of product. They are going to continue to print universes beyond. They're, that's just what's going to happen. So you can you may not like it, and maybe you, that's the kind of thing that's going to make you leave, and that's unfortunate, I guess. But it's not going to stop. So like that, that's what I've come to on this. The things I like or dislike, that's a rock rolling down a hill and, and I'm not going to stand in front of it. So like <laughs> I can either embrace that change or not, but the change doesn't care. Yeah, the change doesn't care. Ooh, Dana. Dana, that was a mic drop moment for me. I, I freaking love that. Yeah, no, that, that that's a really good thing because like if new people are coming to to this game and the first thing that they encounter at a, at a game store or whatever is someone who is mad at Final Fantasy whatever's, uh, like that's not a great environment for them to walk into. And like, I'd rather be the type of person who's welcoming. Yeah. Like I want to be welcoming to the person who saw this thing, had never played Magic before. And they were like, Warhammer, I love that game. I want to play this thing now. And now I've got another opponent that I can play really enjoyable games against. 
cool that like i just like (laughs) happy or unhappy about it as you said james doesn't care and also i need to be welcoming to that person because their experiences are going to matter so much more than being being me being bitter about anything like no one's impressed by how much anyone hates something you know so like being welcoming would be a huge a a big priority for sure so yeah yeah i love the way you phrase that so i wonder for you two because i honestly i'm plumb out of any predictions for what anything in the future is going to look like because if you would have asked me in 2015 what card design would look like or just told me this is what it's going to look like, I, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said this is these are made up cards that like will never exist. Do you two have any predictions for what we might be seeing in the future? Are we going to see design going the same way as it is now or is it going to shift a little bit? What? How do you think it's going to shape up in the near future? The next era. I don't know. Dana, do you have something or... I mean, we're definitely not going to see less universes beyond. I don't think. I think if anything, that's just going to to ramp up. Um, I I think we're going to continue to see the trend we've seen right now, where they are going to, for sales reasons, people they're, they're going to want you to have to buy cards to keep your deck updated to keep up with the decks that are out there that people are buying. So, like, if you are we're playing a Selesnya Enchantress deck. I think that the the intent is to make you want to have to buy cards or buy that Selesnya Enchantress precon so you can upgrade your deck so it can it can hang. Um, I think that's just how capitalism works, and I think that we need to like just understand that's what's going to be the thing moving forward. Um, and maybe you are just no longer like maybe me speaking of me particularly. Maybe I'm not going to be able to have a specifically super unique deck anymore because as soon as they print a Golgari Death Touch deck, it's going to have 15 cards in it that like I'm going to have to put in my Golgari Death Touch deck or it can't keep up. Um, I, I think we're going to see more and more of that as they move forward because the, 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 having really specific decks makes sense. And mm-hmm. from a sales standpoint, I get why they would do that. I get why they want to make you have to continue to be involved in the product to make you keep functioning as a consumer. Um, I just think we're going to see more of the things we've already seen, and it's probably going to escalate. Interesting. Uh, so, so I think I've got my my potential prediction, um, and actually, it kind of goes back to the very first thing that we talked about, where Matt, you said that you had a pre DH deck. Um, as things swell and swell and swell, I don't think this is a balloon that bursts or whatever, but I do think that it that something that big like a player base maybe cannot sustain (laughs) commander is currently the form of multiplayer magic and it cannot possibly be all things to all people Mm -hmm. um so if there are people who are craving more of the nostalgia of the pre-dh what we'll get is more of the a fragmentation of like all right this is going to be a different subsection of stuff and i would anticipate more in that vein um uh, of it just like oh here's going to be uh, i i would foresee a more variance era i guess is the way mm-hmm. that i would phrase it of like different ways to engage with this a little bit more experimentation on the player side to see if there are different things that we can do since we've got so much of this pie um let's see if we can make some different little slices for it and enjoy it in a couple of different ways rather than having to stomach all of it all at once that's i think my 
potential future prediction. I think nostalgia-driven formats or just point-driven formats too. I know Canadian Highlander has a really good point system for a lot yeah. of the high power cards. I think that might creep up in popularity if we hit a certain breaking point. So that is a really good point. I mean, that's kind of why pre-EDH came to be is because it was such a nostalgia-driven format that uh, yeah, people just kind of gravitated towards it because they wanted to get away from everything mm-hmm. that was happening currently. So that is a really good point. Uh, I, I really do think that might see more rise. Yeah, uh, and we'll see. Like this, <laughs> this has been a really fun like <laughs> history lesson kind of thing. Like uh, going back through those different eras of design and seeing like different moments in time, different products that began to influence the stuff that would come later. I think it's fascinating. I think it's been really, really mm-hmm. interesting to to see those things. And honestly, we were just talking about the player design. We didn't even talk about how like, oh, you know, EDH rec became a thing or game nights became a thing. And that also influences player behavior too. Um, and, and our deck building stuff too. So like, yeah, there's a, a, a lot of stuff to, to dig into that I think is like uh, just wonderful. And it's been great going down memory lane with, with you guys and to also, uh, you know, figure out how things came to be this way because regardless of how things seem to be it's freaking flourishing <laughs> so like right yeah i'm 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 happy about that and it's been cool to see how we got there because it's flourishing <laughs> yeah i mean we've seen some pretty monumental changes in how this game functions since this podcast started um yeah, yeah. so it, it'll be interesting to to see where it goes you know where the game is 300 more episodes from now considering where it was 300 ago yeah yeah mm-hmm. and i also uh actually matt i have one more prediction um Another okay. another thing in, in the future that will happen that is, you'll get the uh, segue Joey... for a challenge of stats because that's not going to happen. <laughs> you either. stole my joke. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I... All oh. right, never mind. That error is not happening because Matt won't even let me get my own punchlines. God, brilliant! You you telegraph that more than Alexander Graham Bell, <laughs> even though he didn't really use the telegraph because he used the phone. <laughs> I it doesn't matter either way. I knew what you're going for, and it's not going to happen. Just give it up. I'm so angry at you. That's amazing. All right. Well, you know what segue I can do is for the outro of the episode. So listeners, let us know what you think are the different defining moments of the past many years of Commander. We really want to hear from you on this one. <laughs> and with that, we're going to call this episode to a close. Um, I'm tempted to not ask Matt. You can find me can find at Mathemus55 <laughs> on pretty much any social media platform, uh, whatever it is. That's It's the same handle, Mathemus55. And don't forget, we do stream over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. We have have guests on whenever we stream it's fun time it's always a good time yeah make sure you tune in and dana how about you you can find me online at dana roach i'm writing articles for edh rec and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me online at Joseph M. Schultz. I just started Instagram. Check me out over there. I don't know how it works, but it's fun to find out. Uh, <laughs> and you can also find the cast at EDHRecCast on uh, all of those online places, too. Plus, if you got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.